0: It's time. The Switch the Kick Switch Podcast, Kick, Switch Podkick, Kick,
1: Podkick, Kick, Podkick, Kick Number Four, MMA Podcast. This is Ty Stott. I'm joined by the one and only Jake Bayliss. Jake, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, man.
1: How are you? Very well, thanks. Let's get straight into it. This past weekend, UFC Fight Night, Vulcan versus Anthony Smith, took place in Moncton. I would say, all in all, a better card than I'd hoped for. I was actually at work when it happened, so that was fairly interesting. Or I mean I work in sport, but nonetheless a couple of the guys. Uh, walked past the screens I had up and looked a bit disgusted but uh, anyway um, <laughs> to the main event of UFC Moncton Anthony Smith defeats Vulcan Uzdemir via third round rear naked choke it was a great fight Vulcan seemed to be ahead on the scorecards but we knew the longer the fight went on the more he'd fade and that's what happened do we have a contender at light heavyweight a new contender or does he need one more fight do you think
0: I think we do have a new contender. I mean, obviously, it's a bit hard to say for definite because the winner will face someone like John Jones or Augusta Fesson, and you'd like to think they are the elite of the elite if they've got to fight somebody. But at the end of the day, in this division, we've spoken before how light it is or how thin the division is. And I think Anthony Smith is right up there. He's got to be the number one He's just beat the number two contender. So he's got to be the next in line for the title shot. There will be some that say, you know, Jan Blakovich is on a win streak as well. Maybe pair the two of them together. But for me, that just eliminates, you know, one of the ones on a good run from the title picture. And uh, it means you've got another opponent in uh, Blackovic if Anthony Smith gets the next shot. But like you say, Volkan was his, you know, toughest opponent to date. He'd beaten a a couple of legends in Shogun and Rashad before this. But this was the first time he was fighting someone at Light Heavyweight in the prime of their career. And I think, like you say, Volkan did look good and showed why he is ranked where he is. But ultimately, Anthony Smith got the win and I think he deserved it. Yep, yeah, that's an interesting point you bring up about maybe not pairing Smith
1: with Blackovic, because I thought that was a perfect matchup uh, for both of them next. But if they do do that because the division's so thin, like you just said, it means that we've got one less
0: contender almost. So uh, that's a fair point. In any other division, it wouldn't be a problem. But in it's just this division. If you want to eliminate another fighter from the mix, you're not left with a whole lot. I don't have the rankings in front of me, but off the top of my head, I couldn't think of another person on a win streak like the pair of them. That's absolutely true. Okay, well, we won't dwell on it too long. Obviously, a
1: great performance from Anthony Smith, and uh, we'll see what happens next. But um, moving on to the co-main event, Artem Lobov against Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson wins what I thought was a clear-cut decision. In fact, I think two judges gave Artem one round, which isn't bad. What did you think of the fight?
0: I saw the fight how you saw it, to be honest. Artem, like he always does, did his best, showed a lot of heart, obviously always coming forward sometimes with his chin on show a little bit too much but ultimately he's just not up to the you know standard or caliber of a Michael Johnson or a ranked fighter really in that division I think there's no doubt that he is an elite athlete in the sport but whether he's a a top 15 guy in his weight class I'm not so sure then it brings up questions of you know should the UFC keep him on I think he's on a three fight losing streak now yep he could certainly, if he picked his opponents well, he could go on a, a bit of a run in the UFC if he, he thought about his own career a bit more. But like like we discussed last week, he always seems to want to go for the toughest fight. Now, that's fine, but sometimes when you've got the skill set or lack of skill set that Artem has in some aspects, then that's going to come back to punish you a little bit, and I think that's what we saw at the weekend. Because like I say, he didn't look you know, out of his depth particularly, he just looked like he was up against a better skilled opponent.
1: Yeah, I agree. I wanted to delve into this a little bit deeper because there's been a lot of attention in the media on Artem, a lot of criticism saying that he doesn't belong in the UFC. I think that that's a bit unfair. First of all, Michael Johnson is no pushover, as you just mentioned, and maybe Artem isn't elite, but he's put on some great fights in the UFC. To earn a fight of the night bonus against Hub Swanson is no joke either. But I think people are complaining more because he's fighting in main or co-main events when he's lost his last three fights, as you just brought up, which that I can understand. And let's not beat around the bush. That's because he is teammates and close friends with Conor McGregor. That fact alone boosts his value. But I was actually reading an article recently by Chuck Minnenhall, one of the better writers, and he was very critical of Artem Lobov and that triggered a response by John Kavanagh and I don't think Kavanagh was too happy about the article but Kavanagh did bring to light some interesting points he said that we should look at CM Punk He did good numbers with virtually no MMA background and got humiliated in the octagon against unknown names pretty much, whereas Artem is actually a real fighter. That's what he does for a living. He's been in this game for years, in cage warriors before the UFC, so you can't really be disgusted in him being in the UFC because he's a real fighter and someone like CM Punk isn't. That wasn't the only point that John Kavanagh brought up, there were more, but I agreed with a lot of what Kavanagh said in all fairness. I mean, what what do you think on the whole matter?
0: Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, to be honest. But the thing is, he's got a losing record now. He's 13 and 15, wins for losses. But like you say, his last three defeats, yes, he's got three losses in a row, but they're against Swanson, Michael Johnson and uh, Andre Feely in between the two of those. He's losing to top-level guys. And like you say, he always brings a good fight. He always, you know, is exciting to watch. He wants to, he's entertaining and he does have a following as well. Maybe it's from the close relationship he has with McGregor. But also, he is well-known by MMA fans. He's always going to bring numbers. They have a fox card in Europe or anything like that. But I was just looking through the rankings of the featherweight division. And when you consider that 14 and 15, the featherweight division, I know we have our own problems with rankings, but 14 and 15 in the featherweights are are a beating Yair Rodriguez. You know, that's the kind of level of talent or depth we're talking about when we talk about this division. Now, in other weight classes, he's certainly UFC quality. I just think it's definitely more a question of where he's been placed on the card than, you know, what he brings to a fight card himself. But there's also a question of, you know, what are they there for? Are they there to provide numbers or entertainment? Or are they there to fight for the title, essentially? Because I don't think, I think we both agree that Artem's not exactly going to be fighting Max Holloway anytime soon.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you bring up valid points there when you say that 14 and 15 are Zabit and yeah You look at Artem and you think, no chance, really. Um, yeah. Okay, well, any other standout moments on the card that happened at the weekend, UFC Moncton, that you want to bring to light?
0: Yeah, we, we spoke about Calvin Cater and uh, Chris Fishgold last week. And I thought that maybe it was a case of Fishgold was waiting too long for his UFC debut. He, he definitely came out with some high energy and tried to get the uh, the finish early on. And Cater just webbed the storm a little bit and still got it done within the first round, I think. Fishgold is a better fighter than he showed on the night. But again, Cater showing why he should have been on that main card, I think he's right up there. He might not be in the rankings as of yet, but he's definitely one to watch, especially heading into the new year. There was also Fight of the Night. Bonus went to Nasrat, Hakkarast and, uh, and goti as well in that fight. I was really impressed with Hakkarast. Again, another one to watch into the new year. I didn't see the fight card prelims, but apparently there was a, a couple of highlights on there as well, so I might have to go back through that in the week and see what happened there. But yeah, Hakkarast and to were my Mat- two standout on the prelims.
1: Okay, well before we take a look at some of the news in the MMA world, I just wanted to let any listeners know that you can follow us on Twitter, Switchkick MMA, all one word. Uh, you can also use that same hashtag if you want to ask any questions. We're available on SoundCloud and on iTunes now, searching for Switchkick MMA, all one word in SoundCloud, or just Switchkick, two separate words, in the Apple Store. So, moving on to some of the recent MMA news, Frankie Edgar is out of his fight against Chan Sung Young, the Korean zombie, and Yair Rodriguez is stepping in to take his place, which I think is going to be really exciting and fantastic for the fans. What do you think?
0: Yeah, obviously, it's never good when uh, Frankie was supposed to be on a card and he had to be taken off through injury. But I think the fans have been waiting to see Yair for a, a very long time. Obviously, he was meant to have that fight with Zabit uh, about, well, a few months ago now, but that never materialised. And he was actually temporarily let go by the UFC because of it, because of disputes over who he would and wouldn't fight. But it's definitely good to see him back involved in the UFC. And the Korean Zombie is a hell of an opponent to come back to. I think he's still ranked within the top 10. And the last time we saw him, Yair that is, was in May of 2017. So he's been out for a while and that was a loss to Frankie Edgar. So it's going to be interesting to see what improvements he's made over that time. Definitely had potential when he was fighting the UFC and was exciting to so watch. So that's going to be intriguing when he does get to fight.
1: Yeah, with Yaya Rodriguez, we want to know whether that loss to Frankie Edgar broke him. Because certainly at the time, it appeared like it broke him. You know how sometimes fighters just get these losses and they're not the same again because they just weren't expecting them? Before that Frankie Edgar fight, Yaya Rodriguez looked like he was superstar material going straight to the top, a bit like, I don't know, we all knew that Francis Ngannou had issues in certain parts of his game, but you know, that sort of loss against Miocic brought him crashing down, it it broke him. And also with regards to the Korean Zombie, I don't know what it is with him. He had a ridiculously long layoff. He came back, he got an impressive win and then disappeared again through injury. And it's hard to keep him relevant and get some momentum going with such long layoffs. That being said, he is a beast, and Yair will have his work cut out for him. If anything, it's worked out okay for Yair, because he was due to fight Zabit, like you said, pulled out with an injury, and now he gets a higher-ranked opponent.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Now, Yair might not have fought since... May 2017, but I'm just looking now and uh, that win over Bermudez that the Korean Zombie got was in February of that year, so it's been close to two years since he fought in the UFC and before that it was a four year layoff since his loss to Jose Aldo I do want to reiterate the point you made about Yair in that Frankie fight, he did look almost like a beaten man and certainly some of the stuff that come out afterwards about like his mental state and the way he was approaching fighting, certainly suggested that you know it had lasting damage in terms of his career but if he's willing to come back and he's motivated to come back, and he's still headlining a fox card as well, let's not forget, hopefully we see the fighter that we all thought he could be. In terms of the Korean Zombie, I'm not sure what anyone's expecting from him at the minute, because like you say, he did look impressive in that fight, but that was after a long layoff. So it's going to be intriguing, for sure.
1: Another piece of news I wanted to talk about, it's not really breaking news as it happened over a week ago. We did touch on it last week. The Ben Askren Demetrius Johnson trade, that's gone through now, that's confirmed. And I wanted to mention it because Askrin is doing a, a really good job of talking and running his mouth on Twitter, actually making other fighters respond, the likes of Darren Till, and it's been quite entertaining. And I just thought to myself the other day, that's more interest than Demetrius ever really generated. And he's just typing a few words on a keyboard, I've been following all of the trash talk on Twitter, and I think it's fairly entertaining and sparking responses from from some of the top guys in the division, like I mentioned, Darren Till. So I think that DJ was very quiet and not that marketable. And when your best pound-for-pound fighter can generate pretty much no pay-per-view sales, I think there is a problem. So maybe this is the right move for everyone.
0: Yes, certainly. The more I've heard about it, the more I've agreed that it's been you know, the best move for both sides, really. Demetrius, it actually came out, was the one who engineered the move to start with. He was, you know, intrigued by the possibility of moving to Asia, moving to this promotion where he won't have to do much self-promotion or trash talk or anything that he he really doesn't want to do. He's more interested in fighting rather than the entertainment aspect of uh, the fight game. Whereas Askren has said in other interviews that he had to tone down that part of his personality when... You know, fighting for one ch- championship because that's not something the crowds over there respond to very well. Of course, the move does bring up wider questions over the future of the flyweight division in the UFC, certainly in terms of Aspin's trash talk and interaction with other fighters. It has garnered a lot of uh, interest among the MMA community and it's certainly it's going to be interesting to see where it goes because I'm not really sure on his ideal opponent, seeing as we don't really know Yes, he comes with all this pedigree, but we haven't really seen him against many top-level guys. I mean, he did fight Koreshkov and uh, Lima, but those fights were years ago, and they were not the fighters they are today. So it's certainly going to be interesting to see Askren fighting the
1: UFC. Yep, I'm looking forward to it. And like you say, it will be interesting how high a level of opponent they give him. Just out of
0: interest, Ty, what, what would your ideal matchup be for Askren?
1: Well, given all the trash talk... I'd like to see him go up against somebody very highly ranked, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think that given the problems he's had in the UFC in the past with the likes of Dana White, they won't give him a top-level guy because people are even talking about a fight against GSP. I think that's too much to ask for. We'll see what happens. I don't really know. I can't call it. I would personally like to see him go up against a, a Darren Till or somebody like that. Why not?
0: I think it's interesting because... There are two options really. He's come in as a replacement for a fighter, the UFC, you know, coined as its, you know, one of the greatest of all time or its pound for pound best. So he does come with that reputation as well as being unbeaten. But also if they've invested in him this much and you don't know what level he's gonna compete at Do you give him maybe a a Jorge Masvidal, ranked number nine currently? You know, just as a a meter to see where he's at before you give him one of these top-level guys. Because let's not forget, if he gets a bad result in his first fight, say against a Till or a Colby Covington, there's not really much room for him to move upwards. I think he will get a high-level opponent. But I think it is something to bear in mind, really.
1: This weekend, the Ultimate Fighting Championship returns to Madison Square Garden for UFC 230. The main event current light heavyweight and heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier taking on Derek Lewis at heavyweight. DC coming off a first round victory against Stipe Miocic, and Derek Lewis coming off that late finish of Volkov. The big question is does Derek Lewis even stand a chance? Because the odds would say that he doesn't. What do you think?
0: Listen. We both know that if this fight goes to, you know, the way it should or goes to plan for Cormier, that it's going to be a pretty straightforward win for the champion. Derek Lewis, by his own admission, didn't think he was ready for a title shot last month. It's a quick turnaround. Both are carrying injuries going into the fight. We know about that. But Derek Lewis, as we've seen in all of his other fights, as long as he's in the fight within the last second, there's still a chance he could get the win. Now, if Cormier can manage the fight correctly... I don't see him posing much of a threat considering he's also been the octagon with you know, fighters like Rumble Johnson, for example. But Derek Lewis, I think there's a danger of underestimating him too much. Certainly Cormier is also risking a potential fight with Brock Lesnar. Derek Lewis doesn't really have much else to his game apart from his knockout power. Is there a danger of Cormier perhaps underestimating Lewis? Now, I think the odds and everyone's predictions will be that Cormier will get a straightforward win and I'd certainly agree with that. I just think, you know, there's an outsider's chance for, for Lewis and maybe we get a big upset.
1: Possibly. I just don't see how Derek Lewis can win the fight. He's got knockout power, but DC has fought loads of people with severe knockout power and it's never been an issue for him before. It, John Jones was the only one to to catch him. And if you look yeah. at all the other aspects of where the fight can go, DC comes out on top with ease. And if you start looking at things like cardio and it being a five round fight, I mean, we saw Lewis at the end of that last three round fight. He even said himself in the interview, he's not ready for a five round fight. So it's not looking good, but anything can happen. He could always catch Cormier, but I don't think that's going to happen.
0: No, this is certainly a case of the UFC kind of maximizing Derek Lewis's marketing potential after that 2 uh, 2 win. Like you say, he, he admitted it himself and if we're honest as well. We know Cormier can handle this, like you say, because he, he fought Rumble Johnson, who is you know, was a similar sort of fighter, if not someone more elite, and he, he managed that effectively. So, I think we all know what we're expecting. But we could be in for a shock. I mean, Cormier is putting his potential fight with Brock on the line for this one. We should also add as well that he will be, if you think about it, Ty, he will be the first actively uh, two weight world champ when he enters the octagon at the weekend. True. Because when Connor did it, of course, he was the featherweight champion, but he wasn't really. He'd already been stripped of that title after he won the lightweight belt. This That's... is the uh, the first Santon two-weight champ. That's true. Credit to Cormier there.
1: Moving on to the co-main event, uh, Chris Weidman taking on Jacare. I don't know. I'd have much preferred to see Rockhold Weidman again. I think a win for either of these guys does give them a boost that they're both in need of right now. Uh, Although I think Jacare benefits a lot more from a win. Are you
0: pumped to see this fight? I don't know about pumped. I'm always excited to see the two of them fight. I think they're both interesting fights. So what I'm with you, though, I'd much rather have seen the the Rocko fight for Weidman. I think it is more straightforward for Weidman to get the better of Jacare with his wrestling. And uh, I just think he matches up better to uh, Jacare. I think it's just a common symptom of this card. We haven't really touched on it today, but there's been a lot of you know, changing of fights and a lot of cancelled fights, and it just seems to fit in with the uh, the whole narrative surrounding this whole pay-per-view card, to be honest. It's a good fight, but it's not as good as we could have had, which I think is the general narrative of, of the weekend.
1: Yeah, that's true. David Branch was due to fight Jacare, and as a result of his opponent moving over, Branch is now taking on Kananyeh. Uh, now that, in terms of the odds, is a fairly one-sided fight in favour of Branch. Although, I think that if Kananier can stop the takedowns, uh, he, he's in with a chance. Do you think that's as one-sided as maybe it looks like on paper?
0: I don't necessarily reflect, reflect the odds. I do think Branch will get it done. But like you say, if if Kananier can... Uh show he's got the, the takedown defence to at least stop Branch advancing on the ground. Uh, I think it would be a more even fight on the feet, definitely. I still think Branch gets it done. I just feel, like you say, I know he was supposed to fight Jacare and um, Branch has been calling for that fight for a long time. In fact, he uh, admitted earlier in the week that he'd done a 19-week camp in the lead-up to the fight wow. for this date. So I've never heard of a camp that long, to be honest. So, I don't know, a bit gutted for him. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the win that you see him call out Jeffrey, whether he wins or loses, to be honest. Just because, you know, if you've had your mind focused on one opponent for so long, I can't imagine that's easy. But I think me and you are both excited for what's uh, opening up the main card,
1: aren't we? A hundred percent. I mean, that is why I'm going to watch this card live. Israel Adesanya, (laughs) Derek Brunson, fight of the night candidate. Be surprised if that doesn't win, if there aren't bonuses involved with that one. Uh, Adesanya is on a mission to be honest at first I wasn't I didn't believe the hype I knew he was entertaining I knew he spoke well and you know uh, sort of has this aura especially on social media but I thought that when he fought someone like Brad Tavares which who's a big middleweight you bear in mind Adesanya isn't as big as some of these guys but when he when he dominated how he how he ended up doing it, it was just incredible to watch. And that made me think that he is the real deal. So it should be interesting seeing him take take on another aggressive fighter in Derek Brunson. What are your predictions for that one?
0: Yeah, I I agree with you again. Adesanya has certainly been one of the more entertaining fighters to watch this year. He certainly rose through the ranks quickly as well, if you think about where he would have been at the start of the year. Kicked off, really, that international fight week card earlier in the year against Tavares and looked impressive against a high-level opponent. You know, there have been questions over his other opponents or who he'd faced or the quality of opponents or things like that. The Tavares win, you know, cements what people think about him. Obviously, this Brunson fight, he's been going back and forth with Brunson for a, a while now. and He's certainly got the fans pumped up for it. His Instagram's worth a follow as well. He's always posting good stuff on there as well. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. I think it's one of the standout, fights on the card, I I think I'm more excited for this fight than that. that I am the uh, Wideman-Jackare one to be honest, when we were talking about that earlier. Bronson himself, he's a quality fighter. He just seems to, if I think back to that Anderson Silva fight he had last year, he just showed a bit too much respect. Maybe he was intimidated by someone like Anderson Silva and then he got a head kick from Jackare that meant he lost that fight in his uh, his last time out in January. But he's got some good wins on his record and he's certainly a high-level high level five and it's uh, another step up for Israel I just think Adesanya gets this done and then maybe one more and we're talking a title shot but let's not forget that Whitaker's from uh, Australia himself and uh, a fight between that part of the world with Adesanya being from New Zealand I think that's an intriguing matchup for the UFC potentially set up sometime next year
1: yeah to be honest I'm not sure Whitaker gets through a gas to be honest I know that he's probably strong favorite but I don't know what it is with Gastulum. I've just got this feeling that Gastulum's going to get his hands on that
0: belt. We'll see what happens. Um, any... well, maybe, or maybe if he loses, you give him Adesanya straight away. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, not, no. I'm not a matchmaker, am I? So it's fine. But I think there's a lot to come from Adesanya, definitely. Yeah. Um, with regards to the prelims, anything that's caught your eye that you think's worth a mention? There's certainly a couple to watch out for on the uh, on the Fight Pass card. Uh, Brian Kelleher is always fun to watch in the bantamweight division. He's fighting Montel Jackson. That should be a really good fight, to be honest. Uh, Shane Burgos as well. We were talking about him briefly last week. Uh, fought Calvin Cater in a fight of the night, I believe, uh, earlier in the year. So, he another one to watch. Uh, on the Fox prelims, I think Sajara Eubanks at least stayed on the card, didn't she? She was meant to headline the event to fight Valentina. Uh Few weeks ago, so it'd be interesting to see how she does against uh, Roxanne Modafferi, and uh, Jason Knight, who is actually on a, I think three-fight last streak or something, but he's always entertaining. There's certainly a reason why he's headlining the uh, Fox card heading into the main card. So that's one to look forward to against uh, Jordan, Jordan Rinaldi as well
1: okay well all in all i think it's a pretty solid card and i will be tuned in from early on but compared to other cards at madison square garden maybe not so much i mean some big fights have fallen through diaz poirier was the was the biggest one for me and so i don't know are you still as pumped to see this card or does it just feel like any other big pay-per-view
0: i think there's two points to this card i think there's There's one aspect that it was meant to be huge. It was meant to be an MSG card, like you say, with Diaz and Poirier on it. I'm pretty sure this was the card that had Romero, Paola Costa on it as well when uh, the UFC were going for that middleweight kind of tournament, if you will, on the the main card underneath the main event. So it certainly lost a bit of star power. And because of that, because of all the mix-up with the main event, the momentum going into this card has been lost. But also, I can see it being like the fight card this past weekend where, you know, it's not got the star names necessarily or fight you think you should look out for but as you go through i think it'll be entertaining from fight paths all the way through to the main event
1: okay and how do you think it's going to do in terms of sales do you think it's going to do numbers
0: uh i don't think it will do too well to be honest i don't want to put a firm number on it but if we think was it seven hundred thousand that cormier did for the stipe fight yep
1: and that was uh, a, a stipe that that was on a you know an incredible yeah. record
0: to be a two-weight world champ as well, I, I think we're looking at, if the promotion goes well, if, if Derek Lewis's Instagram can do a, a job for the UFC, I think we're looking at 400,000 maybe. But, yeah. I mean, that's the most optimistic prediction for the UFC.
1: True. Derek Lewis's Instagram is is amazing, though.
0: Yeah, and he's been doing some good promos as well, leading up to it. He's certainly yeah, making the most of his uh, of his uh, headline spot, that's sure.
1: Yeah, his time in the limelight. Definitely. Okay. Well, Jake, thanks again. And uh, we'll speak to you again next week.
0: Yeah. Great to get another show in. see you next week.
1: All right. Take care. Great to talk to Jake again. And now we're through to the final section of the podcast, the uh, betting tip section. I'm joined by John from Martian MMA in Philadelphia. John, how's it going?
2: Hey, Ty. Great, man. How are you?
1: Yeah, not too bad at all. Thanks. Obviously a big card coming up this weekend, UFC 230. We've got um, Derek Lewis taking on Daniel Cormier. I just wanted to ask you, um, you know, what you think in terms of options for this main card. Any big money making options there?
2: So, looking at this uh, slightly underwhelming card for UFC 230, we've had a uh, back to back. M- Madison Square Garden cards that have been, just been immaculate while this one's a little bit uh, lacking it's been plagued by injuries and everything but it's still a good card as you mentioned um, the the lines on this one uh, are, are pretty juiced. you know there's there's uh, only a few favorites that are within the uh, plus 200 range so we have a lot of big favorites but Uh, Honestly, I don't think that that should discourage any plays despite there being some big odds in this one. I think a lot of underdogs can pull this one off. Derek Brunson and Israel Adesanya. So uh, and this one, I I think it's going to be a pass on the money lines for me. Um, we have uh, uh, Israel Adesanya as is a pretty pretty sizable three to one favorite, but uh, Israel Adesanya's decision line right now is at plus three hundred. And honestly, I think a lot of people are thinking that uh, Israel is gonna knock out Brunson, but I think that he's gonna play this one safe, he uses kickboxing to win a, a decision. So uh, I would go with that plus three hundred line on Israel Adesanya. Also on the main card, I think that the co-main event has a lot of value. I think Jacare Souza is uh, my pick to win this one, so him at underdog odds is a great value. I also think this one's going to go to the decision. Both these guys are just tough as nails, and I think uh, it's going to be a close fight. You know, the decision is at plus money. Jacare decision is at five to one, and Jacare's money line is at um, plus money too. So I think there's value all over that main event or co-main event. Excuse me.
1: Okay. What about uh, Canonier against uh, Branch? That's one I was interested to hear about because I personally think that Kananier is in with a slight chance if he can stuff some of those takedowns. Will you be touching that at all or do you think it's not worth the risk?
2: Personally, I will not be uh, betting on this one, but I, I think there's still some good value. Uh, again, fight goes to decision. Both these guys are pretty durable. Um, and, you know, David Branch, although he does have, is coming off that knockout win, he's not really uh, known as a finisher in my mind. So I think that maybe some people are letting that last fight cloud their decision, thinking he's just going to run through Kananir, but Kananir is tough. So I would, uh, m- you know, maybe play the fight goes to decision and possibly uh, Jared Kananir's uh, points handicap line, because I think this one is going to be a close fight. I think Cannoneer might win one round. So it's closer than the odds to pick.
1: Okay. And with regards to the prelims, uh, anything that stands out to you there?
2: So the the fight that I mentioned earlier, Jordan Rinaldi being a 2-1 to one underdog against Jason Knight is appealing. Uh, I don't think either of these fighters are very good. Uh, I think that on, they're both, uh, you know, on the very, very low end of the UFC talent. And uh, But that being said, I mean, Jason Knight has looked awful lately he's uh he just looks like a shell of his former self he uh, got that knockout by uh, ricardo lamas and has gone on to win three uh, lose three fights in a row after that one so you know just on the momentum of things i think J- jordan rinaldi has a good chance at winning this fight um and then also on the prelims we have i think the best play of the card would be marcus hojirio uh, de lima uh, the first fight of the evening uh, he currently stands at plus 185 or, uh, I believe he opened even higher around 250 or and uh, people have been betting down Marcus Hogerio a lot lately uh, I think this fight is is an even uh, an even stand-up fight uh, uh, Marcus Hogeri is is pretty you know bad and when the IQ aspect of MMA he puts himself into a lot of bad positions and gets himself submitted a lot but uh, hoping that depending on that doesn't happen uh, Hoping this fight stays on the feet, I think that uh, Hojirio should have the advantage and might even get the knockout on uh, Woodshore Check. So uh, I, would, I would, uh, would gladly pay the money on uh, Marcos Hojirio de Lima's money line.
1: Excellent. That's great. Well, uh, please let the any listeners we have know where they can follow you if they want to listen to more of your content.
2: Uh, check me out at martian mma on uh youtube itunes or soundcloud or follow me on twitter at ufo underscore ufc i will have my own ufc 230 preview coming out in the next two days so after you're done listening to this episode of switch kick then uh head over to my channel and listen to martian mma thanks for having me on ty
1: excellent john thanks for joining us and we'll speak to you again soon i hope